group of people this quiet in my life. Are you kidding me? Has Wednesday been that brutal to you? You don't even have a peep? It's scary. I'm just going to get the defibrillators out and start charging them up. How are you out there? We are going to be in Genesis 41 tonight. I am so struggling with my voice because of the pollen. It is ridiculous. So after church, we're going to get together and rebuke the trees. <laughs> Has anyone else? This is the worst I can It's a sure sign of the apocalypse. The Red Sox win again the World Series, then it's definitely. But uh, verse 41... In just a minute, I'll have Sister Kim, who should have a better voice than mine, read this to you, but let's just thank God for the word. Father, we just thank you tonight that whether we're feeling great or we're dealing with sickness or dealing with allergies, Lord God, you're still Lord, you're still on the throne, and your word is still your word. So Father, I pray tonight for everyone in this place, Lord, that we would receive something from you tonight. And Lord, as we just enjoy this chapter together, I pray, Lord, that we would see principles in here that would change our daily living. And I pray, Lord, uh, Father, that our hearts would be open and that we would be able to see them. Holy Spirit, open our, the eyes of our understanding so that these wouldn't just be stories and words to us, but they'd be bristling with illumination and that we would get it, Lord. Help us to get it. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know when you just get it and the light bulb comes on? Anyone ever happen, have that happen before? It's just amazing, isn't it? Once, Phil said. All right, Sister Kim. Once. Once is better than nuns. <laughs> Genesis 41. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. 
God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I have never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. Then I awoke. I saw also in my dream, and behold, seven ears, full and good, came up on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man, discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land, and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming, and store up the grain for food in cities under Pharaoh's authority, and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. God willing and the creek don't rise, we'll do the second half next week. But look at all that's happening here. Remember, Joseph is in jail. He gave a... Uh, uh, prophetic insight to the butler and the baker about their dreams and uh, all, all he asked of them is that they remember him. Well, they didn't remember him so he sits in jail there. Now, God continues to move the circumstances around so that after years since the interpretation of these dreams that he had Pharaoh himself has a vivid dream and it's disturbing to him. Understand when God gives you a, a dream that he wants you to really remember and really effectuate a result from, it's going to shake you up a little bit. You know, a lot of things you see and a lot of things you do and a lot of things that touch your spirit, they touch you and they, they leave. But some things don't leave. And usually God's in those things and he's trying to get our attention. So, you know, he's getting Pharaoh's attention. And it seems interesting to me that God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, is talking to a heathen ruler. Does that seem interesting to you at all? You know why? Because he's going to preserve his people out of this nation, Egypt. 
So God has plans. Don't think that God can't use heathens. Don't think that God can not use people. Well, they're not, you know, they don't have the right pedigree or they don't, you know, they don't go to right church or they're not believers. It's amazing what God has done in scripture with people who didn't believe and uh, eventually they did believe or sometimes they never believed, but he used them anyway. So don't put God in a box and tell him what he can do and can't do and who he can use and who he can't use. Amen? Pharaoh has this dream, and it's vivid, and it's upsetting, and it needs an interpretation. Verses 2 and 4, Pharaoh, he, the details of his dream are very confusing to him. And, you know, there again, they're in agricultural culture, and, uh, you know, all of these things about grain and cattle and all of this stuff, it made sense to them. It was in their wheelhouse, yet he couldn't interpret this. It says, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by their other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Whoa, cows don't eat cows. Okay, we were doing good until just that happened. So there's, there's something happening here. If you've ever seen a cow or a horse or any kind of ungulate, you know, who has multi-chambered stomachs when they're starved, they're really sad looking. Their hips stick out, their ribs stick out, if you've ever seen that before. So obviously, you know, the ugliness of these cows caught Pharaoh's attention because it spoke of, you know, uh, pestilence. And so uh, he's looking at what's going on here, um, and it's disturbing to him. Seven cows, sleek and fat. Now that's how you want your cattle, sleek and fat. Hello? Don't look at me like that. You like that steak marbled through with fat, don't you? Come on. Oh, this is a dead group tonight, Robert. What are we going to do with them? I just said steak with marbled fat, and they barely flinched. <laughs> Nothing like a good porterhouse. Mm. So sleek and fat is good, and that's what you want. So he sees that, and they come up out of the water there, and the seven cows come up that are ugly and gaunt, and then the seven eat it, and Pharaoh wakes up. I mean, that's disturbing enough. Verses 5 through 7, this is the second part of the dream. So <clears throat> the dream has two parts. Uh, there was an intermission. God woke him up. I don't know if there was popcorn, but it was kind of funny. <laughs> but verses 5 through 7 show, you know, another venue here. He fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven years of grain cut up on a single stalk. So that's good. A stalk of grain that's loaded with grain is a good sign. Plump and good. That's what you want. Then behold, seven years thin and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and then Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. So we have these cows, we have seven and seven, we have the cows eating up, we have the grain, it's plump and good, then we got seven ears of grain that are scorched and by an east wind, and then the thin ones swallow up the plump ones, and so there's obviously something going on here, and Pharaoh wakes up. In verse 8, he's disturbed by the dream, and he calls all his top advisors, this this sort of stuff I like to see, you know, when the magi magicians and the spiritualists and the false prophets all get summoned to do something actually authentic. I always find that interesting. You know why? Because they can't produce. Because they're not connected to God. They're just fakes. Amen? The, the magicians, what, you know, I mean, what are they going to do? A magic trick and interpret the dream? No, they, they can't. So he calls for all his top advisors. Now, Realize who you surround yourself with will limit you. Pharaoh's advisors here, he doesn't have one winner in the bunch. In verse 8, 
shows us that when push comes to shove, these guys can't produce. Now in the morning, his spirit was troubled. When you got a leader who's fickle and he's in a bad mood, everybody better be on their toes. So he's, he's upset about the dream. He was troubled. So he sent and called the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. And the Pharaoh told him about the dream, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. So, so this is the problem here. All his advisors, all his magicians, all his spiritualists, all his false prophets, all of these you know, guys that worship pagan you know, idols. They come together and they, he needs an interpretation. He needs something spiritually authentic and none of them can do it. And this is the problem with idolatry. It's empty, it's false, and in crisis, it's worthless. See, if you're trusted in idols today, when, you know, it all comes unglued, they're not gonna be able to save you. They're not gonna be able to heal your body. They're not gonna be able to save your soul. You know, whatever men worship, if it's food, if it's money, if it's power, if it's success. You know, and that's what our world is consumed with here. And the, this worldly leader has all these men around him and they are worthless to him in the, in the crunch here. They can't discern. They have no real spiritual value. And right away, he's upset. And right away, you know, everybody's neck is on the line. In verses nine through 13, after his advisors strike out, the interpretation of the dream is the talk of the whole house. So the cupbearer speaks up about a guy he knew who could do the job. Now, all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers Joseph in prison. Now, years had passed. How many people like to wait years for stuff to pass? Right? I mean, think about that. That would wear most of us out. Joseph doesn't know what's going on, but God is orchestrating the circumstances. And you know what? The guy says, you know, he's hearing the, the Pharaoh's upset and everybody wants to help. And the cupbearer is like, I know a guy. You know, you know those people who always know a guy? Your bumper fell off? I got a guy. You, you, need, you, need the, yeah, you need a new boy? I got a guy, right? So he's got a guy. So realize, you know, this has been a long time coming here. He knows a guy who can get the job done. And then the butler testifies in verses 9 through 13 about this Hebrew slave who's in jail and he interprets dreams and he interprets dreams with 100% accuracy. He gives a testimony of how he did it for uh, the baker and himself. Two years late, but better late than never. Someone say amen. Um, Joseph is in jail for years until the butler finds an opportunity to bring up his name, but thank God that he does bring up his name, amen? And you know, the Lord was orchestrating these things why do we always have to wait? Why did Joseph have to spend more time in jail? Have you ever felt like that in your life? Why do I have to wait? Sometimes, you know, why do bad things happen? Sometimes bad things happen because we're stupid and we make bad decisions, right? But in Joseph's case, not really. That's when it's hardest to handle. When you've done the right stuff. How, come on, Christians. How, how many times have you done the right stuff? You took the high road, amen? You told the truth when everybody else lied. You, I mean, and, and it didn't work out for you. So Joseph's, you know, this is not an accident. Joseph's faith is being tested. His metal is being tested. He, he says, I know a guy, and it's Joseph is the guy. He's in jail. Now in verse 14, I want you to see this. Joseph doesn't know it's coming, but in verse 14, Pharaoh sends for him immediately. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And he was shaved and changed and put clothes on him, and he came to Pharaoh. So notice, 
Joseph is just doing his thing in jail, doesn't have any idea that he's going to get sprung or things are going to change. And all of a sudden, they send for them and they grab him. And what does he do? He has to shave. He has to clean himself up. He has to become presentable. But now he's in front of Pharaoh. So, you know, I want you to see this. Many times when situations change in our lives that we've been praying for, that we've been hoping for, that we've been believing for, they change really quickly. And what we have to do is be ready for that quick change. Because I mean to tell you, if we're not ready, if Joseph had let his gifts go, if he let his connection to God go, if he hardened his heart against God and said, I can't believe you left me here, if he didn't continue to use his gifts, when he got called before Pharaoh, he might not have been able to interpret those dreams. You see, the Bible says that, you know, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, that we should be instant in and out of season, ready to reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. So we've always got to live ready. I want you to get that. Well, I'll say, what's going to happen when my ship comes in? Well, are you going to be ready? Are you going to be prayed up? Are you going to be full of the Holy Ghost? I remember a parable of the 10 virgins. Anyone remember that one? Anybody have a Bible? Who wants to read it? Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Whoever gets it first. I'm rooting for Sylvia because she's... Matthew 25, 1 through 13. sobering, huh? Live ready. Stay ready. Use your gifts. Be prayed up. And so Joseph was ready. Pharaoh sends for him. Immediately he's snatched up. He doesn't know what's coming, but he's obviously still uh, using his gifts. Verses 15 and 16, Pharaoh asked Joseph if he could interpret a dream for him. And he mentions that all his top advisors couldn't do it. So the pressure is on. When somebody says no one else has been able to do it, but I'm going to give you a crack at it here. So the pressure is on Joseph, and Joseph, uh, his response here is very telling, and it shows us, you know, again about his character. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to Joseph's answer. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, it is not me, but God, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So right away, he doesn't make himself the object of veneration here. He doesn't make himself, yeah, I'm the man with the gift. Here I am. You got the right guy. Watch me work, Pharaoh. You're going to like this. I'm really good. And the reason I'm saying it like that is because that's the way a lot of people in our generation are, right? 
They get a gift and it's all about self-promotion. It is just amazing to me the self-promoters in our generation. And, mo- and, and, and you know, the, the media and Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff make it even easier. I mean, you would think some of these people who live in their mother's basement are like, you know, <laughs> giant mental icons with wisdom for every situation. Everybody, everybody knows everything, and, and, and everybody's, you know, and, and Joseph is like, right away, look, it's not me. I heard you can interpret dreams. He deflects it right away. This is very important, and if you didn't pick it up, you got to pick it up, because what God wants to show us here is that, you know what, he won't share his glory with anybody. I think if Joseph was looking to manipulate the situation and get the glory for himself and tell him, oh yeah, I can interpret dreams, I'm the man, God might not have given him the interpretation and we wouldn't be reading about him today. But what, what, you know, it's a little reminder to all of us here that it's God who saves, God who heals, God who gives prophetic insight and discernment, not us. You know, all, of all the things we need to be used by God, humility is the first. Amen? And you see humility here in Joseph. You know, I mean, I guess coming right up out of prison and having to be shaved and cleaned up, you know, who knows what he looked like. And, you know, he's standing before the most powerful man on earth right now. But he's humble. And he says, you know what? I can't do it, but God will give you a favorable answer. And so that, that's the right answer for him, and it's the right answer for us. Verses 17 through 24, uh, Pharaoh gives Joseph all the details of his two dreams and concludes by saying again that no one was able to explain the meaning to me. So here it is. This is what I told them. I'm telling you the same thing. Verse 25 is amazing to me. Joseph doesn't say, let me go pray about it. Let me go, you know, seek the Lord. Let me think about it. Could you repeat it again? Verse 25, he goes right to it and he starts interpreting the dream. And that's amazing. Now, Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh, what he's about to do. So there again, Joseph knows what's going on here. God is talking to a heathen king and he's telling them what's about to happen. He doesn't need to pray. He doesn't need to go think about it. He starts off by telling him both dreams are from God and both dreams are a warning. Now verses 26 and 27 begins to interpret. The cows and the grain speak of seven good years of harvest. How many understand when you hear him give the interpretation, you're like, oh, that makes sense right? You know, people who have spiritual gifts make it look easy, right? When you use your spiritual gift and someone else who doesn't have it sees you do it, they're like, wow, I could do that. You know, they ever see somebody good at something and you think, I I could do that. And um, it's never as easy as it looks. You know, I had one person say to me one time, you know, my, my kids have that video game where they play that, you know, uh, the guitars. What was that video game where they used to play Guitar Hero, yeah. They said, they're really good at that Guitar Hero. I think they could probably play like you. Do you think maybe you want to give them a guitar? (laughs) And they were serious. (laughs) And like, people don't get it. You know, when when you're good at what you do and you're using your gift, you make it look easy. Joseph makes it look easy here. He hops right in there, starts pulling it all apart, interpreting piece by piece, and he's just amazing. He's like, okay, the, the cows and the grain, right? We got seven good years of harvest, followed by seven years of famine. Now, famine was serious business back then. If your crops failed, there was no food. You couldn't just go buy more at the store. That's what we do, right? You drop, you drop your food on the floor or the dog eats it. You go buy more at the store. 
if the crops fail, I mean, this is serious famine. Seven years of famine? That's enough to, to make a great nation crippled and destroyed. So God is about to preserve Egypt here. You say, why would God preserve Egypt? Because he's going to preserve the Jewish nation out of Egypt. We're going to see that. But, you know, he, he tells them it's seven good years of harvest followed by seven years of famine. That's life and death stuff right there. Verses 28 through 31, Joseph breaks down the spiritual implications of Pharaoh's dreams into practical terms. And I want you to see this. It's important that God's people be spiritual and practical. Let me say that again because I want more amens. It's important that God's people be spiritual and practical. If you're so heavenly minded that you know earthly good, you know earthly good. Okay? If you're so worldly minded that you're not spiritual enough to, to, to be a threat to the enemy, you're no good. It's a balance. And you see this balance in Joseph here. It's a spiritual and a practical. Um, the way we uh, preach the gospel, the way we share New Testament theology, the way we explain to people, you know, uh, supernatural things in the kingdom of God, it takes a spiritual side and a practical side. A severe famine is coming and God's warning you so you can prepare to survive it. Now, Joseph's going to get real practical with him. Remember, Joseph had that discernment gift, but he also had an administrative gift. And I want you to see the spiritual and the practical. Not that administration is not a spiritual gift, but it's the practical application of a spiritual gift. If you can administrate things and put them in order, notice wherever you put this guy, he was in charge. Why? Because he knew how to administrate. And he knew how to do it so good that the people who were in charge were like, this guy's way better than me. You're in charge. Your gift will make room for you. Your gift will also get you more work than you can handle. So be careful what you say yes to. Jerry, you, you know, you took one job and by the time it was done, you were doing three or four of them and they forgot to increase your pay. Yeah. Welcome to the business world. But, you know, here's Joseph balancing the spiritual and the practical and God is warning them so they can survive. Now in verse 32, Joseph mentions a point was God, God was trying to make by having two dreams. There was a sense of urgency and that's, you know, something you want to see here. Uh, verse 32, now as far as the repeating of the dreams to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter will be coming quickly and will become, you know, come. So God, when God repeats himself, pay attention. Amen. He said it twice because he wanted him to do that. It was coming and it was coming fast. So they had to get ready. Now, in verses 33 through 36, Joseph gives Pharaoh some very specific, practical counsel. And I want you to see how Joseph rolls right from his discernment gift that spiritual application of that into his you know, administrative gift. A person who can only tell you what something means but not what to do about it isn't that helpful, are they? This is what it means. What should I do? I have no idea. Do you think Joseph would have wound back up in jail? Yeah, thanks for nothing. You know, back in there. Well, so he, he's just not saying, you know, and there's a lot of people like that. They can tell you, you know, this is what this means or this is what I think. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of what should I do, isn't that what we want counsel on? There's very few people who can tell us what to do with wisdom and experience. Amen. Those people are very valuable. Let me just say, never let someone who has done nothing tell you how to do anything. Amen. We have some of those people in our government. They've never worked a job. They've never owned a business. They've never run a payroll. Yet they want to 
take all your money and redistribute it because they know better. The insanity of that. Never let anybody who hasn't done anything tell you how, I mean, how do they know? It's a theory. See, and this is what we get out of, we, we go to college, we go to school, we get degrees, we come out with theories. Even, even in Bible school when I was there, I had people there that thought they were going to, the, Jesus was going to come back in a year once they got out of school. Because they were going to get everybody saved and straighten out the churches and get the pastors saying, and I mean, the, the, the world, I mean, just wow. And they came out and I don't even hear from them anymore. Now it's quiet. But, you know, we have to realize that David's not just a guy who has theories. He's not just a guy who can interpret things and understand mechanics, but that administrative gift allows him to tell them what to do. And that's very important. He couples his gift with wisdom. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. That's what we need. How do I know what to do? Because I have wisdom from God's word. I have wisdom from the godly counsel that's around me that, that gives the proper application of knowledge. Now I don't just know what it means, but I know how to respond to it. And that's what Joseph is doing here. Joseph's counsel to Pharaoh is very pointed and it's very specific. I mean, when, when I go through these points here, I want you to think, if this doesn't happen just like he says, he's gonna be a total laughing stock. And he's going to be in more trouble than that. But, you know, people who tell you in generalities, you know, who give you like fortune cookie statements, that's not what you want. This guy is spot on and he's pointed. He said, now, listen, he tells, he's telling Pharaoh what to do. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action and appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years coming and store up the grain and the food of cities under Pharaoh's authority. Let them guard it. Let the food come as a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now, let me just cover what he said there. First of all, <clears throat> he says you need one man in charge. Think that's a bold statement right there. Now, I don't know if when he said that he was going like this. <laughs> I, I suspect not. But Pharaoh was looking at him and he's like, I, I found my man. So what Joseph is saying, you need one general. You need one person in charge. Anything with two heads is a freak. Anything with no heads is dead. There has to be a head to everything. Some of you just passed out. <laughs> there can't be two heads. I hear people say, well, you know, we're, we're co-equal. We're the There's got to be one head in anything. Amen? Yes. Marriage is a good example. Men and women are equal in the sight of God, but yet the man is called to lead and be the head. And if you have two people competing in marriage, I want to be the head, I want to be the head. It, it's a disaster. You, you need one person. And you know what? It, I, I, you know being the head is not the easiest thing ever. Some days I'd rather, I'll tell my wife, you be in charge. I'll, I'll just be the helpmate. <laughs> but, you know, we have to take our role. So he says, you need one head. You need one general. Then in verse 34, you need a large regional network of sergeants. You need a lot of people serving that general. So he's given him a, a structure here to, to operate. He says, take one fifth of all the produce. Where did he get that number from? God, 
and it's going to work out perfectly. So, you know, there again, they're going to see this guy saying very pointed things. And uh, all of what he says is going to come to pass. Then he's going to have some incredible honor in Egypt. But he says, take all of it and store it up. Now, he said the grain must be stored in cities that Pharaoh controls and it must be guarded. Did you hear that? There again, that's wisdom. Why? Because what happens when famine comes? Bedlam, chaos. Look in Venezuela now, they're starving. They're, I mean, what they'll do, you see these pictures online of babies just emaciated. They look like, you know, sub-Saharan Africa just, you know, dying. Why? There's no food. Do you realize how desperate people get when there's no food? So he's like, yeah, you're going to need to reserve one-fifth and you need to put it in cities that you control and you need to guard it because when things get tight, it's going to get dangerous out there. So notice all the wisdom here. The food reserves are going to sustain Egypt in verse 36. He's telling them the famine's coming. This will save them. Now, verse 37 is the end of what we're going to cover today. And I just want to read it to you and then just, you know, make a little commentary here because to me, verse 37 is amazing. Here's this Hebrew slave that they just pulled out of jail. They shaved him. They clothed him. I don't know what he's looking like. I don't know how he's smelling. But he just gave them a very pointed, aggressive proposal and listen to the response. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Are you kidding me? We can't get any group of people, whether in the church or the government or anywhere, to agree unanimously on everything. And here's a slave instructing the leadership of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And they're like, yeah, that was good. We're all on board 100%. That's a miracle. That's the favor of God. That's the anointing that the, the way this young man delivered this proposal, the way he pitched it on a large scale. I mean, this is a large scale agricultural project. With, it's going to take a lot of moving parts and all the political heads are 100% with them and they fall in line underneath this kid who is a, a, you know, a Hebrew slave in jail. Amazing stuff. There again, when God has favor on you, nobody can stop you. Amen. You know, don't, don't, don't make excuses. Well, you know, everything I can. If God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. God is for Joseph here. He's going, you know, from the pit to the prison to the palace. And the journey is an amazing one. But he's on his way here. He has just had his ship come in. He's gained audience with Pharaoh. And God has spoken through him some powerful things. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for Genesis. And this book is so important to us. There's so many principles and lessons in here. It's the beginning of all things. I think many Christians don't want to disregard the Old Testament and not study it. Just recently, I've heard people say, you know, the Old Testament's for the Jews. It's not for us. Boy, that couldn't be more false. 2 Timothy 2.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's good for teaching and correction and all of these things. And so, Father, we take the time to labor in this book, a long book, because the principles in here are life changers. Help us to see that we need to keep our gifts sharp and our anointing sharp. God, I pray that everyone in this room would have oil in their lamps. God, where we've let sin come in and distract us and pull us away, where we've chosen to serve idols as distractions and uh, we have no oil, Father, we repent. We want to live ready. We want to be ready that if we're plucked up in an instant, we can give a godly response to be instant in and out of season. Help us to balance our gifts, uh, the, the spiritual gifts, the supernatural gifts, as well as the natural gifts. 
Help us to be both spiritual and practical so that we'll be useful. Help us to have the word of the Lord, wisdom, the ready application of it, so that we can not just tell people what's wrong, but we can tell them what to do so that they can be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.